0: Welcome to the ScareHouse Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Dutters, and I'm joined today by Mr. Scott Simmons.
1: Hello, Skit Simmons.
0: Skit. Skit Simmons. Skutie McTootie. Skit Simmons. <laughs> yeah, that's a true nickname that uh, me and the basement manager, Tracy, gave him leading up to Valentine's Day in the basement that he has no idea until I just said it now.
1: It's a, Today's podcast is about uh, professional respect in the uh, in the industry and in the workplace and how we don't have any.
0: <laughs> and today, we're... <laughs> <laughs> Scott, I want you to introduce your friend Robbie because I have not had the pleasure of meeting her yet, and she sounds so cool.
1: She is so cool. Uh, it's Robbie the Pre. How are you doing, Robbie?
0: I'm great, thanks.
1: So, thanks
0: for having me on the show.
1: Oh, absolutely. And um, it's oh, there's how to how to do the uh, elevator pitch version of Robbie's impact on the haunted house industry, not just the haunted house industry, but the theme park industry. A lot of overlapping. Uh, staged and themed entertainment. Um, I think I've known Robbie, I'm gonna think about 10, 12 years since meeting at TransWorld way back in the day, back in Chicago, I think. Does that sound right? That's right.
2: Yeah. In the days in Chicago. That
1: was <laughs> And so I was doing a little bit of homework on you because part of the thing that's fun about the Scarehouse podcast sometimes is to have people on like you that I've known for a long time. And then of course, you know, when you know somebody for a really long time, they're sort of basic entry level questions. You don't, you, you don't really think the double back and ask. And, um, you know, I've known you for a while, I've known you as being such an integral part of, uh, Bush gardens, Tampa, but, and the Halloween events and Christmas and everything else. But I had no idea until fairly recently that, uh, you've been, Involved in themed entertainment was about 40 years almost?
2: That's right, yeah. Um, actually, slightly overdue because back when I was in high school and then college, I worked at Bush Gardens in the merchandising department. And while I was doing that, I was also doing uh, trade shows for you know, each time in the company that I was working for um, would do a trade show to do their gift show. You know, it might be in Dallas or Chicago, oh, Atlanta, wow. Miami, any you of know, those show houses. I was doing their display book for them. And so that's kind of how I drifted into that. And then when I was in college, I w- had a radio show.
3: Oh, wow. And
2: that's what I did. So everything comes full circle again. I <laughs> was writing, read books for almost 10 years. So I did for um, what, what I did was, you know, read live or I read two tapes. And, you know, for the visually impaired or print impaired, wow. and um, a lot of it on the radio reading service. And I was syndicated nationwide for uh, Red Book Magazine for on to almost 10 years. Oh, wow. And that, that came about because my professor, um, um, was an English professor at, in the communications department, and he said, "You know what? I think you might be interested in this." And the foundation for my sorority was sight conservation and aid to the blind.
3: Oh wow! So
2: everything comes completely full circle because now that I'm visually impaired, and the you know and reading reading is now commonplace with books on tape and oh, audio. Yeah and all of those things that, you know, may not have come about had that not advanced. So, and how I got my job at the Spartans Entertainment was they were looking for someone with radio experience, and I was the first woman that they hired for uh, doing that, or one of the first women, and became one of the first women technical supervisors. I was the first woman technical supervisor at Bush Gardens in the entertainment department and I was back in, you know, I started in 79. I became a supervisor in 1980. Wow. So very long time uh, <laughs> growing up through the technical ranks um, and doing all different kinds of themed entertainment throughout that course of that time.
1: But there's so much to, to cover, but we were talking about this uh, just a couple of weeks ago uh, in Orlando with you know when we were talking to some of those people who are looking to get into the theme park industry and i think your story um really echoes what michael roddy said is that there's no one way to get into this it's not like you if you were giving advice you would say okay so you want to get into theme park uh entertainment and management i think the thing to do is to get onto the radio and read <laughs> like that doesn't you know but there it's fascinating to see just how one opportunity leads to another leads to another leads to another that's that's a great story it's
2: definitely definitely not a linear path and I've been on the professional advisory board for the theater department for University of Central Florida for quite a few years now and you know every year I talk to the theater students about exactly that and and I went along with many of my colleagues and none of us have a linear path and all of them are equally fascinating um, to that but at the Robbie Ween event, it was interesting. I had maybe six or seven of the kids that I counseled and, and worked with, you know, very lightly at UCF came to that event and now they're all working in the industry.
3: That's great. You know,
2: and they you know, so that's really gratifying that you're seeing that, you know, you are making, you know, when you're telling these stories to people, it's inspiring them and making them think, hey, you know what, I, I can do this. And the way to do it is just simply do it. You know, get involved in the things that interest you, that you have a passion for, um, develop. I did not have a passion for Halloween. I, you know, I did not grow up in that. In fact, I didn't like anything that was particularly scary because I'm a scaredy cat. (laughs) I was, um, you know, when they said, Hey, we're going to do a Halloween event at the first year was going to be this family-friendly event called Spooky Safari. And I thought, oh, okay, that's okay, I can do that, no problem. (laughs) Well, it quickly turned into the second year going, you know what? Let's think about how can we expand this event? And I said, well, the only way we can expand it is to really, you know, go after that more adult market because that is still something that doesn't exist in Tampa. There were other family events, but there weren't other, you know, more um, edgy events. And I went to my first trans world
3: okay. and
2: people just accepted me with opal arms because I had I was a complete newbie and had to do nothing about Halloween at all and I was gonna get thrown quickly into that that mix. And you um, know, I just asked so many questions. The people were very gracious to share information, share the you know, the war stories that they had been through. And you learn as much from good stories as bad stories. Um, yeah. And you, I was able to just glean a, a lot of information. I meet a lot of people, and it's not threatening because I made it that way. You know, I said, you know, I'm not in competition with anyone. Whatever I do with our events, it's not going to be the same yeah. as anyone else, anyway. Mm-hmm. So it will never be a competition, whether that's the folks at Universal or in our own backyard at Lowry Park, that had a more family-friendly event. Um, you know, it's not a competitive thing. There's more than enough for us all to go around and well, present great Halloween events that appeal to different demographics or to different people even in those same demographics. And they were very welcome, welcoming to me, and I appreciate that more than you can ever so. well, well,
1: one of the things that's always been remarkable about you, Robbie, is just, is exactly that. And I know it was coming up. Uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about this in that that big room of just how open open you are to not only ask questions but also provide answers. And as somebody who lives here in Pittsburgh, it's incredible to me how often I realize that um Universal, Busch Gardens, Disney, you're all sort of hanging out together and exchanging ideas. I mean, within, you know, you're not giving away secrets or anything like that, but it's there's remarkable uh cooperation and respect uh between you all i mean even more so sometimes i think than other markets between haunted houses i remember uh several years ago actually getting to go through halloween horror nights with the with your team and that was really fun to go like wow how many how many people would realize that both attract both theme parks have uh what i can tell is basically a habit of Opening the doors to each other and exchanging ideas, and that's that's really fantastic.
2: Well, that was something that um, was a really concerted effort. You know, that's my natural personality, and I love benchmarking, and I certainly promote that. And I'm more than welcome to, you know, turn that around. And any opportunity that anyone had to come and visit our parks, I was more than welcome you know, happy to share that information and welcome them to us. And in fact, I've done that for groups literally all over the world, you know, groups from Sibley Gardens came several times from groups from Sweden. Um, some now very close friends from Holland, um, they've brought their group over countless times, you know, several different um, Asian parks have come over oh, yeah. um, from, you know, on several different years, and I've, and I've always been happy to host them because it just it gives me an opportunity to have that exchange of information and exchange of you know, different cultures. And, and again, it's not competitive. Mm-hmm. And even when it is competitive, I always think of it as a very friendly rivalry because again, we're not stealing from one another. Even if we tried to create the exact same thing, it would be differences that all of the people who are really, you know, cognizant of that would recognize immediately that, hey, it's not exactly the same because it never would be. And you can say, well, I like this one better than another. And I can say that, too. I I, I certainly do. I have my preferences. There's times that I think the best house I went to was produced by someone else. And then there's times that I think, hey, I think we did more than hold up our end of the bargain and, and have one of the best houses here that I've been to. So, and, and on any given night, it could be something different yeah. as well, because we all know it's a living organism. It's not a static one-time experience, and everybody's going to get that exact same experience. So, you know, again, I just look at that as that's a great way to make the entire industry better. And I can absolutely guarantee that Universal Studios, Halloween High Nights, and Busch Gardens Tampa, Hollis Green are much better events because of that had that not happened we would not have pushed ourselves as much we would not have you know you rest on your laurels you don't try to you know strike ahead and be and be better not just to be better for yourself but to be better for the industry because you want everybody to walk out with a great experience because one good experience begets another and that's my common phrase you have one good experience in a haunted house and you want to go to the next one yeah mm-hmm. you want to go back to the one that you want to if you have a lousy experience it doesn't make it even if you know even if you thought well oh, this one i know i've heard it much better you're still hesitant like oh, i'm not sure i didn't have a good time this place this mm-hmm. day so i might not want to waste my money again on something else even if somebody else does it's better so we know if you make it great make it
1: great for not only yourself but for the industry and to me that's really critical absolutely and i you know i with hallow scream i absolutely i, and I, I know i've told you this i can't express enough how influential it it's it was on Scarehouse when we made our move into the building we've been in now for 11 seasons which is mind-blowing of just that awareness of Oh, these guys are really willing to sort of not not push. When I say push the envelope, that sometimes sounds like you're going to go extreme or hardcore, but really sort of being experimental and embracing not only themes that that are outside the usual purview of haunted houses, but really coming up with fun concepts. Like I think for me, I can still remember the first time. And forgive me, I'm not I'm not going to be able to retain some of the. Uh, actual attraction and maze names as well. But the first time I ever saw an attraction that was more like a nightclub and scary, but having the, uh, the lighting and that atmosphere, huge influence on what we ended up doing with delirium 3d a couple of years later, or the, uh, the attraction that for me is sort of an all timer where I think it was called hunted where you're in the cabin and it felt like it was on fire and you're being chased around by a guy with a ski mask on, Right. uh, some of the stuff you've done with shooting zombies. I mean, it just, it was always, well, that's really interesting. That's really cool. I've never seen that before. And I guess my long preamble is that, was that something that sort of developed organically an idea of, you know, cause you've been doing, you guys have been doing this for a long time. Was a sort of an idea of like, let's try this new out there idea. Like, where do you think that willingness to embrace new ideas came from?
2: Came from is that we knew we could not afford to do any haunted house or scare zone based on an IP unless it was already something part of our system. um, We knew that that wasn't going to be a possibility because our budget was not going to allow that and allow us to create, you know, an attraction that would suit that that particular IP um, or intellectual property. So we knew we had to do things that were unique and um you know of our own origin and you know a lot of times we spend a lot of time brainstorming i mean we, we actually you know 10 years later we were going back to lists that we had made in our first couple of years oh, wow. of concepts and ideas that we want and there's times that we develop something and we shelve it because we go mm, this isn't the right year for that but we come back to it and um Oftentimes, we'll restyle it or or redo it, or or even, oh wow, we've been wanting to do that and we just never got to it. Uh, You know, alone being a perfect example of that. I mean, I think we pitched that idea for the alone haunted house uh, as an upcharge haunted house, you know, probably six years before we ever did it. Um, And, you know, we knew that. You know, it was going to be a unique and interesting offering. We knew that it wasn't necessarily going to be a profit maker, but it would be a good PR um, opportunity and something to talk about and, and to kind of hang your hook on for that year. Um, and if we could break even on it, then that would be a positive thing. Um, so that was that's how we would come up with things. You know, we would just sit down and go, okay, what are the things that scare people? And diversity was probably our number one um thing that we looked at, you know. We looked at okay, what kind of products are we offering throughout the park and how how can we make that as diverse as possible because something different scares different people. Mm-hmm. You know, so the same thing like a ghost theme might be incredibly frightening to someone and they go a whole hump to someone else. Where clowns, you know, tend to be universally scary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there may be Things like, you know, the mortuary has been we've done a version of the mortuary a number of times and we always felt like, okay, that's because most of the time people are just inherently afraid of a funeral parlor or being around,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, some place where it's involved specifically in a death. We always knew we wanted to have a particular house that was a more traditional Gothic type of thing. So there's different themes that, you know, that we had. I mean, we have. I bet there's probably on on that list 25 or 30 different themes of different kinds of Gothic houses, and we can always go back to that first and go, <laughs> well, you know what? We never explored this yet. What about this again? Um, so that's that's really how a lot of it come about. Is that what are the, you know, the natural fears of people? What are the um, locations or locales that we might like to do? What does that particular house lend itself to, um, you know, or that area of the park might lend itself to that might be naturally scary in that habitat, um, you know, so a lot of things like that, you know, what are the resources that we have in our park that might be different than somebody else might have available? I mean, like we use animals in our haunted houses um, because we're an animal park, but we have to be very sensitive that we use them in a way that's very... Respectful, it's never going to be something that could hurt the animal. It's never going to promote anyone to mistreat an animal. But we are people are naturally afraid of certain animals, scorpions and snakes and, and bugs and birds. And you know, so we've been able to use things and resources because we happen to have them that someone else might not have. So we're taking advantage of you know exactly what's available to us and, and using it in a an apropos way for the event.
1: Well, that's interesting I was going to ask like in those early years when you were transitioning from spooky safari and sort of finding your feet, was there an inclination to base the attractions on sort of the setting and the animals, you know, trying to sort of fit into the the brand of the park or right from the beginning, was it based on what's scary? Let's build attractions around what's scary. Um, I was a
2: little bit of both. Um, You know, initially, we didn't, you know, it depended on what our venues were. I mean, as we grew throughout the event, one of the bigger things was trying to build infrastructure in the park. So, that's when we were able to um, construct buckler buildings that were outside of the normal park operations. So, while we were installing and operating, Hollis Green are not necessarily interrupting the normal daytime operation of the park. So, that was a big emphasis throughout the you know the early parts of that, and you know there was, you know, Hellscream took a lot to get used to from the management team. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that fits the brand of of you know our standard of So we were working outside of that brand, and the reality was that we were trying to create a brand separate from Bush Gardens, mm-hmm. and and there was a little bit of pushback on that because it's like, well, we're not two parks and not that, but. We had gone in today, we wanted this to be a separate ticketed event that it would be after hours you could come to the park and get a discount for the nighttime event, but it didn't automatically get you into the Hallowe'en Scream event um without paying a separate price for that um, and because we wanted to create Hallowe'en Scream as its own brand so that there was no mis you know misconstruing that this was something that wasn't necessarily the happy go lucky family friendly you know fine for under 13 crowd, because it wasn't, mm-hmm. and we wanted to be clearly known as that. So, um, and we also wanted to separate it from, we were, you know, an animal park in one of the largest zoos, even though it's a themed park, um, in North America, and so we have to be very cognizant of how we present animals. So, we used them only to the extent that it, it helped, you know, helped to the actual attraction itself. Or it was something that, you know, worked with and worked within very specific parameters. And and even to the extent of the gardens, we we wanted to use things that were part of the park, but yet we couldn't do things that would necessarily impact the park because nobody wants to come to Bush Gardens thinking they're going to get a certain experience and then be bombarded with, you know, partial Halloween things mm-hmm. because that's not what they came to the park to see. They mm-hmm. came to the park to have their family friendly day at the park. But yet, when I come to hollow Scream, I don't necessarily just want to see, I, I want to see my hollow Scream events in that setting in a way that, that's fun and scary. Yeah. Right
1: well, and how much, I mean, over the years, to give people a, a sense of it, people who haven't been down there, how much did the scale change from that first year of being hollow Scream to, you know, present day?
2: Uh, significantly. I mean, you know, the first year with um, we with Suki Safari, it was a haunted jungle trees And so of course, we did use specific areas in the, the bird gardens area uh, for that. Uh, and as we continued to grow, the next year, which was the 2000, so 19 years ago, um, we did the first talus And we had three haunted houses. One was another version of Dr. Livingstone's Haunted Jungle Trail, which okay. involves Scott Swanson as Dr. Livingstone. Amazing. He was a key icon character for for that house, or that, that haunt. Um, and two other haunts and locations that were part of the park but were not necessarily um, operated as part of the daily park experience. So, um, you know, and then by the third year, or, you know, basically the second year of hollow screen, we were already at five haunted houses um, and starting to grow some scare zones. And then, you know, without, in too long a time, we went to eight haunted houses and, you know, multiple scare zones. The scare zones kind of evolved throughout the course of the time. Some of them were areas that were very highly decorated walkways that you had to walk through, but were still highly decorated um, to, It evolved into Roaming Hordes, where it was a group of characters that stayed in character and had some props that they core to in certain areas that they worked in, but were more roaming. So, um, at first, we tried to advertise them, and then we decided that we wanted that to be sort of a, you know, on surprise, so that you didn't know where they were going to be. And as the Roaming Hordes came about, that was part of that, too, is that our concentration was on High Startle. Um, so that's, you know, that was really both in the houses and in the scare zones, uh, you know, the type of scare that we were going for most definitely was the startle. You know, we used atmospheric scares and bounce scares and, you know, blending scares and all different kinds of scaring techniques, but the, you know, the real power of that was, you know, a basic storyline that was stuck to, um, that through the characterization of the the actor and the type of scare they did, but it was always going to be a startle, a get-in-and-get-out mm-hmm. type of scare. So we evolved very quickly. So, you know, all of a sudden, from somebody that was a newbie that had never done a haunted house before, mm-hmm. you know, within three years, I had already done, um, you know, 10 or more haunted houses. Yeah. So you multiply that now by 19 in the number of houses I've done, and even though our claim to fame is that we're great polishers. The first year of a haunted house was it's always good and we're always pleased with it but it's always better in it's second or third iteration
3: yeah and we
2: don't just we don't just oh i'm going to make some scenic improvements or i'm going to fix the stuff that got broken the year before we try to put in things that you know either enhance the scare even further or things that we you know couldn't afford the first year or we take a second look at the next iteration of that story so the story actually advances in its second or third year. So that's why there's oftentimes a different tagline on the same mm-hmm. house. And even though it is a repeat house, meaning that it's you know a house that was done the previous year, um, it's not the same house. Um, it's never, never once has it been, oh, let's just reopen it, you know, dust off the cobwebs or or actually just leave the cobwebs in place <laughs> and, and open the doors and say, hey, here we go again. Hope you like it this next time. That's not what we've done. We always make that um, that effort to add that additional storyline to it, to just tweak it and adjust it, to take it to that next level. And that's where I think our houses are um, really shine, because it gives you that opportunity to make it better. And then, you know, then we go, okay, well, where am I going to make the changes? Again, sometimes it's not because of the age of the house. It's because of the diversity of the product, yeah. you know, or what what might be happening in the park. Sometimes we've been forced to make decisions that, hey, that menu is not going to be available anymore, so it's got to move, so that house is going to go.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so we've had to make those kinds of choices and decisions. Or, you know, a hurricane picks up a house and oh, you we know, <laughs> have to move it. You know? <laughs> um, which happened to corporate nightmare. We literally in two weeks had to – you know, after the first night of operation, it was basically 12-foot walls were cut down to 7-foot uh, walls because we lost the entire top half of it wow. and um, we lost most of that house, and that house was almost 5,000 square feet. Oh, wow. So it was it was pretty much a disaster, and we made it into a scare zone for the characters and, and some of the props that were movable into a scare zone for the next weekend. After the hurricane, in the following weekend, it was moved into a completely different venue that only had the height of the ceiling was only nine feet. So anything that we had had to be, you know, cut down to that. And it's like, that's why I picked that venue and suggested it. It's like, because, well, it's the one that has the, <laughs> the shortest <laughs> the shortest height. So what we lost, we don't you know, have to worry about the top half of it because it didn't fit in the venue anyway. so it's you know it just depends on you know the circumstances and you know it did evolve um very rapidly um and all of a sudden you look at it and you go well how many haunted houses have you done or scarce and you know you're going 60 80 (laughs) i mean and it's like how did i go from you know a newbie of never doing a haunted house at all other than like in a grade school carnival where you had to stick your hand in the, you know, the cardboard box and feel around it. Oh, are those grapes or cardboard legs? <laughs> there,
0: So it's, it's so funny because my background's very similar. I have, I did a, I controlled a bat that was made out of a plastic bag and at a high school trail. And then I ended up totally by chance working at ScareHouse. And then this suddenly became my career out of, essentially nowhere i had no background in this or no plans to ever do this and suddenly it's like you're going into that fun part of your brain where you're like we're designing things like the valentine's day in the basement and like okay how do we creep people out and it's like you don't get to do that in your normal life and never in my normal life has that ever been a thing and now it's like oh you know what this thing really bothers people how do we turn that up a notch Mm -hmm. or how do we take advantage of that
1: well how do we use the data we've done some survey data on what scares people and how can we yeah it becomes very (laughs) scientific
2: well, and I think that, you know, when it really comes down to it, is even if you've never had that kind of experience and you're coming just from a straight entertainment background, you know, the reality is all entertainment has to touch people mm-hmm. in an emotional way. And scaring people is actually, I don't want to say easier, but it's easier to touch them, not physically, I mean, but to, mm-hmm. you know, get a response from them in a way that, is visceral, mm-hmm. you know, because being scared is already a, a visceral experience with you, and you know, it's like, what do I do when I'm scared? I laugh,
3: you yeah, know because I too. laugh at
2: myself for being scared. So I'm always like, <laughs> you know, it's like oh, you know, I, I scream first, and then I immediately go to a laugh, and I'm almost always going to say, "Good job, thank you," you know, and that's what. And it's like, oh, you got me, and you know, as a person that. Walks through the houses constantly during the operation of the event. You know, they could. All of the actors always knew that it was their job to scare me because I'm gonna be distracted. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at all of the. I'm looking at all of the very specific details of the lighting and listening to the sounds and, and you know making sure that all the effects are you know working and the animations are right or you know what's the flow of the house. You know what are the things are people where they're supposed to be so I'm looking at this it's pretty easy to I'm already distracted for them to get me yeah but I always I always suspend my disbelief even though I know where every scare is or should be and I know what the character is and I know what it is you know it's suspension of disbelief and I get myself into that zone because I want to have that experience each every time I go through there and if they can get me at that point then I know they've done a good job and they know they've done a good job because I'm going to tell them, hey, awesome. If you got me to laugh or if you got me to scream, mm-hmm. then you did what you were supposed to be doing. And because of the fact that I constantly was taking groups of people through, I had, as a manager, I was going to go through anyway. So I might as well take people with me if I had anyone that was visiting. And they knew that they had to get me, so that was going to get my group as well. <laughs> and and I could And I could maybe you know, walk in such a way that's going to take them past the easiest place of ridiculous scare. I'm not stupid. I would of course, you know, try to uh, get them to do that. So it does make that experience again, a little more uh, intense than it than it might be. But the the idea is that you're you're touching people in an entertaining sort of way. So when it comes down to it no matter what we do, we're entertainers.
3: Yeah. And
2: mm-hmm. using you know, Using scare and fright as part of that, but you know, when we use you know comedic things or or things that just disorient you or make you you know think differently, even if it's just for a moment, all of those things people may find um, exhilarating, and that's really what we're doing is to just heightening that exhilaration.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's funny you say that because we, we we hear this all the time that somebody will say oh, they're a little scared to go through a haunted house or they're worried about getting, getting uh, too much intensity. So can I go through with you? Because I'm sure they leave you alone. <laughs> like, no, they, they kind of come at us no. with double barrels because if they can make one of us jump or scream or laugh, that's, that makes their night. So yeah, you, you don't want to, we've got big bullseyes on our forehead. Don't yeah. don't go through an attraction with <laughs> us.
2: It's funny though, but some people are like that. I mean, some are. there are some owner operators that that is the case. Don't that they don't want them to scale that because they they've got a job to do going through and do that. That's I just feel my job is for them to do that. That's part of what it is. How do I know if they're doing their? How do I know that they're doing the best job they can if I'm not seeing them at their best? Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and and if they're not at their best, well then they might need some help to get there. Mm-hmm. And what are the things that we can do to help them? And that's part of what, you know, our stage managers who are really key key people in our houses because they're really acting as an assistant director. Yeah. They're the ones that are helping to train the subs and we have you know you know, when you have anywhere from six hundred to eight hundred employees that are brought on just for Halloween screen, most of them are actors but some of them are technicians mm-hmm. or other behind the signs people and you um, you need them to be able to get enough training and keep that training consistent but of course they're going to you know there's people that get sick call out don't like it quit all of those things and so we have substitutes that come in and have to be trained during the event and the you know the director's not going to be there to do that that's going to be the stage manager that helping them mm-hmm. to fill that role. So um, to, to us, the stage managers have to know that those people are doing what they need to do. Now I will say we probably are more lenient in our break schedules than a lot of, of parks are, or even a lot of haunted houses are. Um, but we found that to be the most successful. We tried a lot of different kind of break plans and, we basically cast, double cast everything. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, And that tends to work with us because you've always got a buddy or a partner that you're going to tap out with Mm -hmm. when you're going on break and you can discuss anything that might be critical to that character or that placement in the house or that, you know, that roaming horde character or what's going on. Um, The stage managers, you know, can utilize the other person to help train the sub if they're filling in for that. So it's really successful for us and it's worth it. Um, you know the additional cost that that may because you're giving people more break time, but we also find that it helps with retention and it helps with you know people not getting injured or not mm-hmm. over stressing themselves because it gives people the opportunity to give them a hundred percent of when they're out there and not have to you know go ahead and couch that a little more if they didn't get as much break time
1: that is it's such a challenge we face as a lot ourselves because. But towards the end of the night, you have people who are going through the experience, you know, as customers, and they've been waiting in line hours. They deserve and are looking for the same kind of intensity and quality that they got early in the night. It's not their fault that some of these actors have been, in our experience, have been working four hours, five hours. It's the second or third day, wow. so it definitely with us. We a few years ago really started. Almost forcing people to not work every night, to be able Mm -hmm. to say, like, no, we need you, you know, we need you to stay frosty. We need you to be active. And it was interesting. uh, I'm not going to blow up his spot because he's always very private, but we were talking to a haunted attraction owner who he actually, his approach is really interesting. On Saturday nights, he will be open from seven till very late. And I think sometimes even like one o'clock in the morning. He actually does a triple cast. But what he does is he doesn't tag him out he just runs everybody full speed pedal to the metal for two hours. And then they just collapse. He's like, Oh, hold up. Whole new cast comes in. They go for two hours. Like it's just this whole, like almost a total reboot every two hours. And, and that's a really an interesting approach, but it's how I think how he's able to keep up crazy intensity. And it's, but it's exactly that kind of thing. Like you're talking about, there's so many little details that go into uh, like a like a conductor of an orchestra, like okay, how do we make sure that all these elements are firing all night long?
2: Well, and and some of it, of course, comes from our trial and error. We've done, you know, we've talked about doing that that plan before, and in fact, we tried that in, in limited, you know, in a limited situation, and in it, and it that can work, you know, that can work equally as well. But it is important that you you have a good understanding of how much intensity that someone can, can legitimately give and how they can utilize that in a way, because you're right. You know, people have been waiting in line for such a long time. They deserve, deserve that experience of, you know, as intense as, as it is at the beginning of the night towards the end of the night. And, and to that extent, you know, every night we're in operation, we're typically going from seven to one o'clock.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's, that's a lot, but that's part of why we went with roaming hordes too, um, and made a switch to that. Although, you know, we, the value of scare zones is still critical. But running hordes allowed you to have that entire horde together, so they were either on set or they were off. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though they weren't in the park for you know that forty-five minute set, um, it allowed them to be full force for that yeah. forty-five minutes that they were on, and then take a break together. So, you know, there's a lot of um, group interaction with words and things like that. So you're seeing things that are interactions with guests directly, with groups, walking, um, and with one another as characters. And that's really the only way we could make that happen as effectively as we could was, um, was doing that. Um, so, you know, there's, sometimes there's just different formulas for different types of scares or different portions of your event. Um, or your house, you may have three different attractions in your house and each of them could work slightly differently based on what the needs of that attraction are mm-hmm. and how it needs to operate operated. It's most efficient.
1: Well, and that's a thing too, as a conductor, you're sort of trying to figure out, especially with that many different, not only the, the actual haunts, but the scare zones and the shows they all have to sort of satisfy. It's not not just scare, but entertain people in different ways and give them different kinds of experiences. And that's something I, I always admire uh, about people like you who are overseeing these huge events. Of it's you you've got to sort of keep every like a giant equalizer. Like okay, well that's got to be funny, but that that's got to be a little sassy. That's got to be scary in this way. That's got to be. There's a lot of moving parts to these things.
2: It is, and and to that end it's you know my my really the reason to be in, in this event for for me and my my favorite portion of the event was is diversity and diversity of product diversity mm-hmm. of the type of people that come to the event and uh, the people that are working the event and you know so it is a lot of balls to juggle uh, because everybody is you know works at a different and you know, works differently you know even the the people that you're hiring into a Halloween event are not necessarily the same group of people that you would hire into your daytime operators. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's what I loved best about when we went into hollow Scream was that all of a sudden it opened up the world, um, to people that always wanted to work for a theme park, um, but never really fit the bill for whatever reason, you know, for, I don't know. Lack of anything else, there is some of what you know, an entertainer, at least a, a theme park needs to be. You know, it's the young, it's the beautiful, you know, for the kick your face kind of musical reviews and, and song and dance shows and things that, that we might do. Um, and not that that's there's anything wrong with that. Um, but then all of a sudden, when you start to expand to other events, then what you're presenting as entertainment starts to expand, and so the roles of people that you need to help fill that expand. And Screen is is the broadest of all, because all of a sudden you're able to take the people that are tattooed or have gauges or mm-hmm. piercings or you know any of the things that might not fit the the normal park service appearance and um, uniforms and such, and we're able to utilize those talents in a way that gives them opportunity for employment and gives us the opportunity to take the, what they bring to the table and enhance that Mm -hmm. and utilize it for the show. And that, and it also just the diversity of, of attitude that comes from that. You have people who are professionals, you have people that literally are homeless. That could be their only job for the, for the year. And all of a sudden, you're mixing those groups together, and those people that sometimes feel a little disenfranchised all of a sudden are franchised
3: oh, yeah. into
2: a family of hollow screamers. And those people stay in touch with one another throughout the course of the year. Um, and as uh, they become a family, and under that brand of hollow scream and that affiliation with Bush Gardens. And I think that's. You know, that diversity is so great, and it leads to the diversity of our product, you know, because all of a sudden we're looking at uh, things that they may bring to the table, and you go, oh, well, what if we did a house around this, or what if we did a scare zone, because these people love to work together, and they're all bikers, so let's go ahead and put together this, you know, biker posse, and, you know, that's how that came together.
3: Yeah. Because
2: you're just talking to your folks, you know, and thinking about, you know, what are the possibilities for that. So that, and that diversity that exists because of Hollis Green, uh, to me, was the greatest thing that brought to our parks. And certainly the thing that I treasure and cherish the most is that diversity of the people and the product and, and what we offer. And that's what brought me to love Hollis Green and to love all of the people that I've met through that, because I would never have met you and, and all of the Haunt community. I would never yeah. have had that opportunity all over the country, all over the world. It just never would have existed, you know, in my life had it not come to that. And so I'm so grateful for that.
1: Well, I was really privileged to just, I guess this was a couple of weeks ago to be part of Robbie, Robbie Ween and to really feel, you could feel it in that theater of, um, that community, that sense of, oh, this this is sort of what it feels like at ScareHouse. Like, oh, they're all this group, and I mean this as a term of endearment, of misfits all together, all sort of not in any kind of braggadocious, uh, aggressive way, just really feeling this sense of community and really being grateful to have all found each other and have you know an opportunity to scare people and find each other and really play every october so um that was just fantastic and uplifting but um we'd be remiss in the podcast if we're not talking about what that event was and the really unfortunate reasons it existed so uh, i'm gonna put you on the spot robbie and uh talk about some of the challenges you've been going through lately
2: well for me the, uh, the last three years have been pretty tough for me medically um, I had a a very bad fall uh, where I literally tripped on a brick coming out of a uh, a graduation party one evening and uh, you know tripped on that brick and fell into the road and did a lot more damage than I really had thought that I did initially. Um, and what fortun- unfortunately developed is it was an autoimmune disease called temporal arteritis. Um, which is also known as giant cell arteritis and it's, it's a disease that of inflammation that attacks your arteries usually starting with your temporal arteries so it tends to affect your eyes first um, and then can move on to other major arteries throughout your body and your heart and lungs and such. Um, it's usually an older person's disease. It doesn't usually come about until people are, are older than I am um, and so Something else usually gets them before the temporal arteritis takes them down. But temporal arteritis is extremely serious and can lead to um, blindness, which it has in my case. So um, it has caused blindness in my right eye. Um, and most of my left eye has um, no peripheral vision. So I only have some central vision in that that eye. Um, but it's also the only medicine that you can take is pregnant, a a very common steroid that that people take for various um, infections, sinus infections, and ear infections, and um, things that are injected into your joints to assist you when you're having joint problems. So, you know, where it can be a wonder drug, it can also be very damaging, and it also can cause what's called Cushing's disease. And Cushing's causes a lot of Severe problems in your in your body, like giant moon face, where you get a lot of swelling and roundness in your face and your arms, and retention of, of fluids. Um, it has you know, things called like um, buffalo hump, which is like a big fatty thing behind your back and around your torso, and you know things like that. Um, and can also cause fractures in your spine and in your your bones, ruptures in your tendons, and unfortunately. I got the whole boatload of it from my Pregnosone usage. So um, that's as I'm trying to be off of the prednisone to go to just a new medication that was just um, approved by the FDA. That's where I'm I'm hoping that I can get off the prednisone and go to this other biologic drug. Um, So that's what we're trying to go with right now. But um, it's, very slow, and it's one step forward and two steps back. Um, so I was out on medical leave for um, a while, um, year before last. I went back to work for six months um, and I stepped in the hospital this past September, and while I was out on medical leave at that time, my dad got eliminated. Um, so my position was no longer at Bush Gardens. Um, so at that point, I uh, was still out on medical leave, and I still am on long-term disability at this point. Um, so where my future goes from here, uh, we shall see. I'm very interested in doing consulting work or, you know, helping other entertainment uh, folks so people get information in the way that I was given mentoring. But it's the other thing that I'm trying to do is to start a foundation, which I've already applied for the um, the LLC for the, um, the company for the foundation itself, that's nonprofit. Um, that's called Eye insight. And that is to help people with visual disturbances and visual loss, um, how to adapt and um, function and also better communication tools between you and your doctor and your doctor and you. So those are some of the things that I will be working on, um, in the future, but I don't want to leave the, the haunt uh, area completely, so I hope I still have opportunities to assist um, in some ways with um, with that. But Robbie Ween was an event that was put together without my knowledge, and <laughs> I'm so extremely grateful for that because it was a group of, of folks in Orlando, primarily, um, that knew me through through Haunts and through other um, things that I've done over in Orlando because I've been so involved with IAPA and with um, the TEA and with SLICE creative network and and things of that nature. So I had a lot of friends over in the Orlando area and that we were all had similar passions and, and backgrounds. And they decided to do this event and bring together what you know these three panels of folks who are just so knowledgeable about the theme park industry and Halloween in particular and put that together as, as a way to raise some funds for some of my medical expenses. And it was a magical day. Um, it, people gave of their time so generously. So many people came together to give Um, various auction items, which were memorabilia that you could get nowhere else. So a lot of it was original artwork or, um, you know, all different types of memorabilia that were related to either haunted events or movies or other pop culture uh, types of things, you know, T-shirts and um, different things like that. One of the best things is that... um, was just coffee with. So it was an opportunity for those that might be interested in getting, you know, just the ear of someone for an hour or two
3: mm-hmm. of
2: an expert, um, and that, and just having coffee with them. So people bid on that to have coffee,
3: yeah. So, you
2: know, with one of these people and that raised a good bit of money. And it gives these, you know, gives the people a chance to maybe, um, reach out to people that they might not otherwise have an opportunity to have that kind of, um, individual, personalized conversation with. So I was just like I said it was a magical day. It was so much love and mutual admiration and respect um, in the room. It was possible. You know, you could feel it every Mm -hmm. which way and and so many people got to meet one another that they might not have known. Friends got together that don't get to see each other as often as they would like. You know, good buddies that work together day by day you know, still got to have that chance of, you know, really, really saying, Hey, you make a difference in my life. And, and what I found is that such a blessing. No one wants to be sick. (laughs) No one wants to have to go through what I've gone through. But, you know, if, if God has to bring some people together and to do that in a way that made them feel good and advanced, um, You know, advanced some people. I am positive that there will be positive repercussions for many people that went to that event, whether, you know, a new opportunity, a new job, a new relationship, all that. I know that those things came out of that. And if I helped to do that, that was a blessing in my life um, for having to go through that. So I can't, you know, I can't say anything but how, you know, how much gratitude I have and how much how thankful I am that, uh, that people were willing to do that for me, but I feel like it was a hundred percent work for
1: everyone that was there. Yeah. I mean, the vibe of that whole day was just remarkable because exactly as you said, it was a lot of people who haven't been together in the same room for a while. Some of whom brought their family members, you know, they're people I've known for 10, 15 years. I'm like, Oh, they're, you know, got to meet their kids. It was fantastic. But also, yeah, uh, how free of cynicism it was you know i think that we all who are lucky enough to work in this world sometimes we get a we get together and we just start kind of kvetching and complaining and oh we didn't get this we didn't get that there was none of that it was all people just being uh grateful and generous with their time and their money and forming these connections without any kind of agendas and also the fact that it was all brought together with this personal sentiment it wasn't like oh here's this corporate networking thing that i apple put together and oh you're here you're like it was just no it it was sort of back to those early days of community theater of let's put on a show and and yet we're all these people who have been doing this for so long and it was just really remarkable i mean i came back i i came back from that and i was just and i'm still just completely just recharged and energized in a way I haven't been for a while
2: and I think it you know it was inspirational as in so many ways and, and even though those of us that have been doing it for a long time you know it's easy to get jaded and, and not be but just to realize the amount of talent that that we were around that day is really remarkable but my sister was there and, and I mean, she doesn't, doesn't' come from that background that and I didn't know any of those people except maybe a couple. Um, uh, you know, has been to our event a couple of times, and you know, said to Halloween Horror maybe once or twice. She was thoroughly fascinated. Yeah. And she said, you know, it wasn't so much that, you know, what it was they were talking about; it was the passion in which they spoke about it. And she said, you know, you just don't realize. My sister's an engineer, so she <laughs> has a lot of passion in that um, <laughs> you know but they, they come from you know it's a, a totally different place that you know that they come from from that and she says to hear people um, talk about you know who they are and their work and the people that they work with and you know what they do and how they impact other people and, and to do that she says, you know it's so refreshing to know that and my niece who was there as well, my sister's daughter, um, is in college at University of Central Florida. And it was completely inspiring to her. And I was so grateful that they could both be there because, you know, I really didn't think that it was something that they would really enjoy. I wanted them to come, but it wasn't something that I wasn't, I wasn't sure. You know, it's like, okay, it's out of obligation or something. You know, I want you to come and enjoy and they thoroughly enjoyed it. And in fact, my sister is going to go with me mm. to Transworld. Oh, awesome. That's um, great. to, to help me there because I found out past the day of, of Robbie Wayne that I was getting this award from the 100 Proxim Association and it's the Lifetime Achievement Award. And so ridiculously humbled by getting that, but I wasn't sure how can I get to Trans World. Yeah. Um, and, my um, sister offered to go with me just to help me make sure that I don't have any issues like that. And there's been some other people that have been very gracious and, and are trying to help me get there as well. So at this you know, time, I'm planning to be there and thrilled to be able to see a lot more folks that I haven't been able to see in the oh, last yeah. year. Um, the, what? So that's exciting.
1: It, that is always such a great event, and I I always and encourage people. I mean, it can be um, Transworld can be over overwhelming, and Robbie, it'll be interesting because I know you haven't been there in a, in a few years for your take on it because it has exploded, and there are so many parties and seminars and events and things on the grid, off the grid. But that um, the the Oscars banquet, I believe that Pat and uh, Brett were the ones who got that rolling is always so great because we're all in the same room and and um it's a rare and that's sometimes the hardest thing to do with the scale of trans world now is there's so many gazillion people there but to know you're going to be there with all this wealth of uh experience and knowledge and to be able to just you know especially at a the theme park level and we saw that at robbie ween i think sometimes there's a sense of oh the you know i don't have you know i could never do what they do the but, talking and realizing like oh, okay they're just steps towards a process there's so much great uh quality interfacing and networking that happens at that banquet so it's i highly encourage everyone to make time to go there to meet with you meet with some of the other folks find out more about the association um it's it's going to be a, a great time
2: yeah and i hope that's exactly what you know people do because i'm completely open um open to that and and you know always. I- i love to give back on that. And it's interesting that you say, you know, it's like, oh, I don't have that. I don't have that. Well, you know, neither do we. You yeah.
1: know,
2: we, you think that there's deep pockets in a the theme park and you think that that's TV. But, um, you know, it's not. You know, you're fighting, you know, in those early years and and not just a couple of the early years. For many of the early years, it was a battle each and every year just to get it past the management team because Halloween oh, was not in their... In their mindset at all. You know, that was not something that they, you know, related to, cared for, you know, that wasn't necessarily like a good direction other than it you know, could produce revenue. You know, it just wasn't something that they really had much interest in. And you know, there was a lot of no, no, no. And you're trying to get the yes, yes yes and the trust that, you know, you're doing the best with what you have. But a lot of times it was doing the best with what we had because you know, if I learned a matter of scale, you know, we had a larger scale because you're dealing with, you know, a much higher density of people and and product throughout a very large park and you know, you're trying to do that. Well, you know, you break it down, you're still working with a scale of budget that most, you know, small professional hunters are working
3: with. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, we may have had some resources that might have been a little bit better, but in some ways we didn't because we didn't have that experience. We had to develop that experience over the course of some years, not you know, nobody just popped up with it completely. Yeah. Um, but you know, and and even still, you know, our, our budgets are very limited when you're trying to do seven or eight hundred houses, you know, six or seven schisms, two or three shows, you know, and and, and provide some Additional entertainment, you know, for various promotional things throughout the park. Yeah. you know, that it, it goes it goes quickly. You know, it's it, you know, it's it's sort of like you're in a small town that happens to have you know six or seven hundred houses in it. Mm-hmm. it. It you know, it really doesn't go that far. So people underestimate the or overestimate oh the resources that might be available, and even to that end, with Halloween Horror Nights, you're working with IPs that are very costly. You license yes. IPs. They don't just give them to you.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And yes, there's a cooperative relationship between the movies and the studios and uh, the parks. But the reality is, is that sometimes that ties your hands more mm-hmm. because you have to live up to the, the Bible of mm-hmm. the you know, the producer or the owner of the content that you're doing with the IP or whoever is the, person that has the say so on whether that's a go or not and and they may want something that is simply not within the realm of your budget but you have to accommodate anyway and you just ate up way more of that than you had intended just to satisfy the constraints of the ip and so that's you know you're, you're working you know on a different scale than you are but if you just leveled all out. It, it, I don't, it still kind of comes down to the same thing. Oh, they have so many more people working on it, or they they have a team that works year-round. Well, they worked up to that too.
3: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, there was a time there were not two or three. You know, could get all of the lines virtually. You know, yeah, and, mm-hmm. you know, and everybody worked up to up to that over the course of course of the years. But it's all about scale.
1: Yeah, and a lot more obligations too at that level too. You know, it's not with with oh, scarehouse yeah, you know we there's and constraint. The, and constraint yeah you know you're you've got a well merchandising has certain things they need to hit and do and this department and this department and sometimes i know especially with with your experience um sometimes in the theme parks level like sometimes your budget might get impacted not by anything involving halloween but what happened with the christmas event or the summer event or this happened this Absolutely. happened this happened and you know the some theme park that's part of the family in another part of the country took a big hit so you don't get a scare zone, a new scare zone this year like well that's not fair but yeah. yeah
2: that's absolutely true and and things that are completely out of your control so i mean like a lot of times that's you're just trying to use your resources the best way you can and make the most of what um, what you can offer and you know and really Sometimes going back to that and being constrained in that way forces creativity and it yeah. forces and I think that's where we actually do, you know, and have done extremely well in the past. And that's why, you know, I never throw an idea away. If you don't like that one, well look in the bag. There's, you know, a thousand more mm-hmm. of us <laughs> pick another and explore that. Because the reality is sometimes it's just not the right time for the right yeah. For that idea. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that it's a bad idea or and sometimes people go, Oh, we've been there again, no, we don't need to do it again. Well and it's like, well, you know what? That was ten years ago and we have a totally different approach on that yeah. now. Um and then there's things that just were okay to do that, that aren't okay to do now mm-hmm. because the oh, world yeah. has changed. It's a different mm-hmm. place. You know, you're not gonna do things with beheadings, um, you know, immediately mm-hmm. after people have been beheaded in the Middle East. You, right.
3: you can't
2: do it. You know, it's just not appropriate to do it's not that's not scary that's you know that's taking something that is an actual circumstance in the world the idea behind doing something scary is that you're living through this vicariously and know that you can survive Mm -hmm. um that's part of what this experience is a cathartic experience of going through a haunted house and getting scared and going, oh my gosh, you know, your heart is beating so fast and then you're laughing about it and then you're being scared again. But you walk out that door and you get that final button scare and then you go, okay.
3: Yes. <laughs> I can take
2: a breath. I got through that and it's okay and I survived and now I know that I can. Yeah. And there's something about that that makes people feel like, okay, I can get through something, that nightmare that I'm going to, uh, that I have, um, or, you know, but, when it comes too close to the truth, that's no longer scary that right. that's frightening in a totally different way, and that's you know that to me is crossing the line. So I think you have to be you know cautious about that, and that's where some of the more extreme hearts have to be. you know, I think they have to read the times and read the people that they're mm-hmm. dealing with in order to know what they can and cannot do because there's some places that edgy, extreme situations work well and and, work, and you have the right demographic for that and the right location and your actors are trained in such a way that it's not going to be a problem. And then there's others that just go, oh, I can do that. I can, you know, I touch them, I separate the group and I don't really think about what it is and um, it can just, you know, do things that really harm the industry because anyone gets hurt in a haunted attraction, it harms other people. And other attractions. So we have an obligation as operators to operate our events and our, our shows in a safe and as respectful a way as possible. Uh, because we want we want to be able to continue in this business, and we want our industry to flourish, and we want it to do so in a positive way. And we can't allow people who are nonchalant about that to take that take
1: advantage of that. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And it's absolutely, it's all about entertaining. And as you say, knowing your market and knowing your audience. And I think that's one of the things that makes, makes this industry so fascinating is seeing things that some markets do, some markets can't do. And also just a vibe, you know, um, I haven't been able to travel as much as I would like as the scope of scare house has gotten larger and larger, but that was always so fascinating to me to be able to see, uh even just locally, like there's some stuff they, you know, the the mindset of an Ohio haunt sometimes is worlds different than a Pittsburgh haunt, even though they're only two hours apart. And um, that's just always going to be really interesting to me. And I think that's another reason why I would say, again, make sure you go to, at Transworld, well, number one, make sure you go to Transworld, but uh, make sure you go to the Oscars Banquet and make sure you catch up with you Robbie and this is that was my like professional way of segueing into a close i don't have nearly as much radio experience as the other two people on this podcast <laughs> right now but um we should start wrapping up because we can probably for a very long time um and before we wrap Robbie I should ask how can people uh connect with you before transworld um how can, you know if they're interested in talking to you more about some of the things you have going on how can they reach you
2: um, they you reach me on Facebook. It's Robbie, If You can reach me on Facebook. You can message me, messenger me on that. Uh, my email address is RobbieLapree at AOL.com. Um, so that's another way um, to be able to reach me easily. Um, those are probably the two easiest ways. I'm on Facebook a lot. Um, for that, Robbie Green is actually on Facebook. Um, okay, and it's going to cool. stay... Up and active um, because uh, I'm going to be posting the seminars um, or the the panel sessions that were done for Robbie. Um, I have video of that, oh, um, and so we're, um, more likely they're not going to post links to to some of that in a, a way. Um, so you know we're, we're keeping we're keeping that active. The Robbie Lee pens are going to still be available um, at trans world. So hopefully I can you know, see some of those sold and, uh and Scott's taking some, and, and oh, such, cool. and that's you know, just another way for people to connect with one another. Um, cause it's a very adorable little icon, but the uh, pumpkin that has good reason blocks to, to me. Um, and yeah, so those are the ways to do that. And like, I won't be as good. Um, and that's obviously and very excited to be there and, and, and happy to meet people um and I will be on the show floor for um three of the days so
1: great and there's also looking
2: forward to it and seeing people
1: and there's also I believe this, the GoFundMe is still active I think you can find the link off of the Robbie Ween uh page but it's also it's also out there I believe still
2: yeah thank you for saying that yes there is a fellow a GoFundMe uh page, it's um, Bobby police wellness fund um, for that. And and, know, <laughs> and my initial goal of 20 grand, um, I am still looking for, for that, unfortunately, because um, the uh, doctor bills keep coming in. And of course, as we all know, it's, uh, insurance um, costs are so expensive. And unfortunately, there are a lot of treatments that I have that are not necessarily covered by insurance. Oh. And um, that's where... Those things get you pretty quickly. Anything with eye issues is always in a kind of gray area, whether it's covered under medical or vision. That's not covered under most vision plans, and a lot of medical plans don't cover a lot of things. And I had twenty-two eye surgeries in the last two years, so um, it can it can add up pretty quickly yeah, um, for those things. So, you know, this is. Amazing are completely appreciated and, and, and certainly I don't expect anyone to give unless it's something that they feel um, that they're able to do and, and that they feel good about doing but I am you know, most appreciative when I get it because what it does is it takes just another little bit of something that it's on my mind all the time and I'm not getting that phone call of when that bill is going to get paid or getting that notice in the mail that I haven't paid it yet that yeah. um, really helps and when you go on disability it changes you know it changes your life you've worked your entire life for um, you know certain things and for the income that you've developed and to see that kind of disappear and a you know not completely but even when it has a high percentage if it's not there it it's a difference to your lifestyle and um and how you're able to accommodate things so it has been extremely helpful. And they, you know, since that was put together a few months ago, that's
1: really been helpful. Well, I would say this, Robbie, anybody who can, um, keep track of 900 misfits running around, uh, show so many people from all across the world, a good time while maintaining a whole, uh, belt full of radios and can also bounce back from things, little minor discrepancies, minor issues like, Oh, a hurricane just took out our new attraction uh, if anybody is able was able to prove that they're able to handle all that, uh, I would say that uh, overcoming this latest uh, series of difficulties, you'll be able to handle that. No problem, I'm sure.
2: Well, thank you for that. I am I will say I am resilient, I am perseverant, and most importantly, I'm adaptive. and, yeah. and I think that those qualities, will stand anyone in good stead no matter what they do. And certainly, I think those those qualities are critical to success in the Halloween business because oh, yeah. there's many things that are going to be thrown your way that are going to be difficult. and You have to be resilient. You have to be persistent. You, know, you have to take that passion and utilize it in a positive way that's going to entertain people and make sure that you are doing right by the people that you're working with. But most importantly, be adaptive because if you're not, you don't grow and you don't get better. Yep. Um, so I will leave it at that. That I think those qualities stand anybody in a good stead, and and if anything, you know, working on Hollow Scream prepared me better for the circumstances I'm in now than I ever would have been mm-hmm. otherwise. So again, a non-linear life that you never know where it's going to lead, and you lie. don't know where seeds planted sprouts. And I've seen so many, so many things sprout up, and beautiful plants and, and flowers grow in places I never would have expected. And just because of even conversations like we're having right now. So thank you for including in, me in it today.
0: Oh my gosh. Thank you, Robbie, so much for being part of our podcast. We really appreciate it. It's been great talking to you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Oh yeah. And looking forward to finally meeting you at Transworld too. Yes. yes. <laughs> That'll be awesome.
1: The Dutters yeah, is very absolutely. tall. He can't miss her.
0: Yeah, he can't miss me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for well, listening. i
2: big fat pumpkin person, so it'll be <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: oh my gosh well thank you so much to listening to this episode of the podcast if you enjoyed it please subscribe to our podcast so then you'll be at our episodes first and they'll automatically be in your podcast listening device of your choice and also if you enjoyed it please leave us a, a nice review on uh, wherever you're listening and uh, thank you so much for listening in and talk to you soon ta-da so,
1: uh, perfect